You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Trying to get a sense of what the basis and boundary of what it is for the Advent to be the Advent, sort of its theological basis and its boundaries, how far away we'll go and that sort of thing. Um, uh, working through uh, a, a series of short summaries. That's why the... the uh, uh, the class is called Short Summaries. Short is debatable, I suppose. Um, from my perspective, you could write and I have read whole books on any one of these topics. And I'm trying to keep it about a page, page and a half. Of course, it's single spaced. But I'm not cheating. I haven't like messed with the margins and I'm not making it down to seven point font or anything like that. Um, uh, some of them are more dense than others and I know that. It's not necessarily polished, but it's just putting out uh, a little bit of some markers of what it is um, uh, when we start with two things. Um, I'm a great sinner, and the Bible is living and active. In some ways, everything else is built on that. So this is a ground-up um, uh, series where we then approach other questions. What does it mean to be the church? That'll be towards the end. But we ask that question only in the sequence of first knowing that I am a very great sinner with a desperate need and the Bible, which is living and active, um, has something to say about that. Um, and so that's that's the idea. That's the idea of the series. So today we've got four other pieces as we're stepping into it. Um, on uh, uh, the last one about hey, Mark, um, about the Scripture being living, living and active, distinguishing the law from the gospel, and then we take a turn and we look at grace and faith. And then as I was writing, I thought you know I probably should say something about. The Reformation cry justified by faith and the fuller expression of what it means to be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's where we are. Um, that was just a way to sort of take a couple of minutes, let everybody get settled, and, uh, and now I'll pray. Um, gracious Father, be with us now. Take this time. Make it yours. Um, uh, I do pray, Lord, um, that you give us a living and active faith, um, a faith which seeks uh uh, ever to be grasped by you and your promise. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so diving right in, um, the law and the gospel, to repeat a little bit of this. Um, this is all what we talked about the first two weeks. Um, uh, God's word comes at us in two ways. You can either say that or you can say God actually has two words to say to us, the word of law and the word of gospel. Um, each have a distinct and unique function. The law is, uh, says one thing to us, and it does something to us. Um, it's living and active, and so it stays outside of us. It's alive. It runs after me. Um, the Hound of Heaven, the poem that we thought about last time by a man named Francis Thompson, where we are the um, uh, like a rabbit being pursued, and we run over hill and under briar, and, and, uh, and yet it's incessantly coming. The, uh, like the telltale heart, it keeps beating and it comes and it comes and it comes and it comes. It's living and active and it will not let me go. Um, and God's word of law is a terrible word um, because that word pursues us. The diagnosis that you are in need. There is a problem and it's original to you and it's been this way since the very beginning as in your mother's womb, um, to, to, to quote Psalm 51. The word of law is the condemning word, the convicting word, the diagnostic word, the word that delivers the judgment 
and then even executes the killing effect, the killing word of God, which pursues a sinner and brings the old Adam to his end. That's the law. And then the gospel, for the Lord only kills that he may quicken. He only brings down that he may raise up. So says First Samuel, thanks be to God. Um, and the word of the gospel, which has an entirely different function, which falls on our ear in an entirely different tone and timbre, which is an utterly distinct and different word than the terrible word of the law, um, as, as, as awful as the word of law is. It's that N plus one sort of math where the gospel is always more. It's always greater than the word of law. The word of death is never the last word. It's always the first word, but the word of life is the second word, the last word of God. For where the law is, um, uh, for where Christ is, the law is at its end. Romans 10, 4, I think it is. Um, and we take that seriously, that uh, the law and the gospel um, are two different words of God that do two, two different things to the, 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 the old Adam. Um, one puts him in the grave, and the, the gospel brings the old Adam out of the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Gil, come out. Be alive. And here I am, the new creature. The old is gone. The new has come. The law and the gospel. So that's the basic functions of the law and the gospel. But we go forward here, and we think about um, uh, uh, the law and the gospel always distinguished but never separated because there's a lot of ramifications that begin to fall out from this. Um, it's a long history. Um, uh, well, to say first, um, in the second paragraph, the law serves the gospel, and the two words always work together. So the gospel never... Uh, works apart from the law, and the God never gives the law apart from his gospel. Um, so we can say that uh, the law and the gospel are always distinguished, but never separated. I'm not making any of these phrases up. These things have been received in the tradition for hundreds of years, as it were, just trying to pull some things together. And one of the great works, I think this is true, John Halsey's here, he would know this, um, the longest book in the English language is a book called Fox's, um, well, actually the full title is Fox, The Acts and Monuments of the English Martyrs, because it was started in the 16th century, and they just keep adding to it, and so now it's, you know, hundreds of people have written to it, and it's, I don't know, a million words, I think I remember hearing something about that, nobody knows, though. so he's going to take me as the authority, it's over, it's the longest book in, um, in the English canon. Uh, but one of the early entries um, uh, says this about the law and the gospel always being distinguished but never separated. The law being the first word that puts the old Adam in the grave and the gospel being the last word which calls him forth as the new creation. So I'm in the middle uh, with the indention at the middle of the first page. There is nothing more comfortable for troubled consciences than to be instructed in the difference between the law and the gospel. The law shows us our sin. The gospel shows us the remedy for it. The law shows our condemnation. The gospel shows our redemption. The law is a word of ire. The gospel, a word of grace. The law is a word of despair. The gospel is a word of comfort. The law is a word of unrest. The gospel is a word of peace. The law says, pay your debt. The gospel says, Christ has paid it. The law says, you are a sinner. Despair, you shall be damned. The gospel says, your sins are forgiven. 
be comforted. You shall be saved. The law says, where is your righteousness? The gospel says, Christ is your righteousness. The law and the gospel always distinguished, always distinguished. What is law is law and what is gospel is gospel, but they're never separated for the gospel is served by the law. Um, so hit pause there. <coughs> Questions, comments? There's a lot to say about that. Um, I said a little bit. Which he was also great at, just, you know. Soars. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last sentence in this short section um, John Newton, a lot of us know him, or at least know of him, as the author of Amazing Grace, for instance, the former slave trader who was turned on a dime. Uh, uh, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Very much a prodigal son story. Uh, towards the end of his life, he had something like dementia, um, where he was losing his mind, but he'd move in and out of, of lucidity. And one of the last clear things he said, this is well attested, when he sort of moved into um, that moment where he could, could realize who he was talking to, he says, well, I do know this, because he knew he wasn't, wasn't usually always there. Uh, I do know this. I'm a very great sinner, but Christ is an even greater Savior. And that's the two words, always working together, um, always distinguished but never separated. Um, uh, very much in line with what you were saying, Ellis. Um, yeah, yeah, Oswaldo. Uh, I knew you were going to say something. Oh, it. <laughs> uh, Psalm 119. Yeah. Yep. The strict law gospel paradigm. Yeah couple thoughts that I have, and I'd love your thoughts here too. Um, we may go off on a little tangent, excursus, if we will. Um, one, uh, a reading of that psalm, uh, a Christ-centered reading of the psalm, that Christ alone who was able to keep the law, who was like us in every way save one, that he was without sin. Christ is able, obviously, to pray that psalm without any any reserve whatsoever. Um, and it becomes then that word of hope that the one who was able to say, I delight in your perfect law um, and I will fulfill it. Not a, an iota, a jot, or a tittle shall pass away from any one of the, what is it, 174 verses uh, of Psalm 119 or any other part of the law and the prophets. Um, and so that's one of the first ways to think about it. It's our word of hope for we look to another who, who can pray that prayer, who can say that psalm, who can sing it um, uh, with no ands, ifs, or buts. Um, so that's my fullest uh, mind. That's one way I think it's been received. Um, but a second is we, we have it as a word of hope. Even as me, a very great sinner, a worm, uh, when I read Psalm 119, two things happen. And I'll hopefully get to more of this when we talk about sanctification in two weeks. Uh, the word falls on me, the word of Psalm, Psalm 119. Let me back up. It's the longest book in the whole Bible. Um, it's, it's obviously the Psalm, 174 verses. It takes like 25 minutes to read. I did that once in a Sunday school class. We just read 
Psalm 119, and I think everybody fell asleep. But I really liked it. I remember it. So I just want to see how long it would be. So it takes a long time to read, and it's just a psalm that delights in the law of God, which I'm just calling the accusing, killing, convicting word. So Psalm 119, it's a, what do you do with that? Then later, once uh, the old Adam has been put to death and the new Adam is called out of the grave, and I hear um, that psalm with two ears. One is the old Adam, and I read it, and I think, wretch that I am. I'm never, ever going to hear this word with anything that lifts my soul. It only puts me back in the grave. And so it just clarifies everything that I'm not. And so the diagnosis becomes sound. But a new ear, the new Adam, which can't, here's the, the tagline, the left hand can never know what the right hand is doing. The right ear can never know what the left ear is hearing. And the ear of the new Adam hears, the ear of the new creation, hears Psalm 119. And I, I, I'm stirred to hope the restoration of whatever glory is going to look like, that time in heaven, uh, where the law will uh, no longer be the law, and whatever that looks like is just freedom, it's going to be something like that. This echo from a new land that comes, and C.S. Lewis is kind of in this vein with his Narnia books. Well, whatever it's going to feel like, look like, the sound of rushing waters, where what once was the word of condemnation is now my word of joy, it's going to be something of that foretaste of, of, uh, of, of the restored new heavens and the restored heavens and the restored earth. So, simple, short answer, two ways to approach much of, not just Psalm 119, but much of the, the scriptures, um, Leviticus and everything else. Well, that's a different story. So, um, Yeah, Kristen. Yep. 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 Forgiving God, um, split of anger and abounding. It's like you see that kind of uh, reoccurring over and over in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. You say that that's hinting at or getting at the gospel that we find in Jesus Christ. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a lot of gospel in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of law in the New. I mean, so it's not that's not a strict division. Um, uh, I know that's not what you were saying. But that's the first word as we go into that. To remember, it's just not old, bad, new, good, Old Testament, bad God. Glad we're past him. New, you know, that's not it at all. Read the Gospels, read them, and you're quickly like, oh, wow, Jesus is not meek, mild, and just nice and patting children on the head all the time. He is really severe. Um, so, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's the first word of Shema, um, one of the great words of uh, uh, one of the great prayers in Judaism. And it is just 150 proof gospel. Hear, O Israel, ye who struggle with God, this word falls on your stopped ear, and suddenly, epiphta, you know, be opened. Hear. O Israel, the Lord, your God. Hear that personal word? The Lord is one. Um, and he's, he's yours. That personal word. Um, same thing in the preface to the Decalogue. Um, uh, 
I've talked myself into a hole. Um, uh, I think it's behold, the Lord your God is one. Um, and it speaks the same way. And then it says, you shall not, you shall, you shall not, you shall. Um, but first, it's the declaration of I am yours and you are mine and nothing is going to thwart that. The gospel for the right ear that has been called out of the grave. Um, so one way I want to see, yeah, Jim. My perception, which might be wrong, was that the focus of the Old Testament was the study and living into the law of God. At least through Moses laid down the law and they were to study it and to comply with it as much as possible. Is that, and that may have been a misperception by the Jews or by me. There was a New Testament, so we got to salvation came not through the law but through Jesus. Sure. Is that wrong or right? So the Old, the old Testament... You know, summarized say in the law given by Moses was say say again. I'm sorry. To study the law, to love the law, to comply with the law. That was the source. Of, that's what Jews were called upon. Yeah. To do. Okay. I think certainly it's part. Um, uh, it's a good question. One I'm not going to be able to answer. You can hear me stumbling here. Not in five minutes. Not in two minutes. Uh, what's the point then of the, in the economy of God's salvation that He would hold, you know, all of human history up until you know, 33 A.D. underneath a uh, an economy that didn't have a way out, as it were? Um, uh, we can just say God is God, and I'm not. Let God be God. Um, that whoever uh, died before Christ died in Christ. Even though they weren't, even though that time had not yet come, the fullness of time had not been. So, under the dispensation, as it were, of the law, uh, Christ was still died for those sins. Um, the sins of the world, past, present, future, were all were all accomplished only, all all all, all satisfied. Was the word I was looking for? Only under the cross of Christ. In the Transfiguration. We have Moses. That's right. Isaiah apparently. Talking with Jesus. So yep. Like you said, some of this is in the mystery of God. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Moses and Isaiah, right there, mm-hmm. who are at his feet. Once Christ has come, the law is silent. Um, before Christ came, Christ was still, his, his work was still efficacious, would be the big word. So, hey, I want to get on two parts about this that sometimes get, get us thrown. Top of them. Um, uh, the second page. Yeah, I think about the same one. Uh, I'm gonna get too far. Well, I'm already too far in. Um, so, what sometimes what Luther called a theology of glory, um, uh, which is the natural religion of each one of us, that we want to jump over uh, suffering and and sin and and the bad stuff. And try to get to the good. Um, we want to get to a place where we can say that the, surely the bad is not of God, and we want to get to a place where um, uh, all we have is good news. That's well intended, but it's wrong. Um, God's law, God's word, um, is of God, and it is good, right, and holy, um, and it brings judgment and wrath to each one of us. Um, or better, the judgment and wrath that is rightfully deserved by each one of us is then poured out uh, fully upon Christ on the cross. And so in place of a theology of glory, 
which would say something like, you're okay, it's going to get better, pie in the sky, um, uh, don't worry about um, the bad things now, think about the good things then, where you just want to sort of leap over, as it were, Good Friday and get to Easter. All of us want to do that, especially for our children, for instance. Nobody wants to see anybody else suffer. Theology of the cross puts a pause on that because it takes the law of God very, very, very seriously. So I just want to say that and then flip it um, because, again, we're trying to put contours out on sort of you know, the, our theological markers, and this gets pretty theological. Um, uh, but there's also then a negative way of seeing that. Um, what's called a negative theology of glory, where instead of saying I'm okay and I'm I'm going to be you know I'm kind of getting skirting my my um, my sin, you can say that's your badge of honor is that I'm victorious you know sort of the victorious life. For some people, a badge of honor can also be like oh I'm worse than you are, um, you know my sin is worse than your sin, so you know I'm the greatest sinner. Let's fight for this, and it can become almost this place, which is a strange thing, but it, it shows up in the church some where now we've lost sight of the awful terribleness of the law of God, which made Isaiah tremble when he had the the, the theophany, when God appeared to him in Isaiah 6. And we capture it right there in our communion service. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Hosts is the army of God. And so there stands before Isaiah, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of the hosts of heaven uh, and they're coming for him. That makes us quake. The law of God reveals the Lord of hosts who takes sin very, very, very seriously. And that negative theology of glory, where now we're sort of fighting through and not taking the law of God, which diagnoses, this was Andrew's sermon, very good sermon, um, taking it very seriously to say, we're never complacent with sin even as it's well intended to get us in the church. Um, uh, that it's, it's, and that's where he was talking, I don't want to talk about Andrew's sermon, but it was really good. Um, that impetus to compromise, uh, to be able to say sin is sin, and the word of God diagnoses it, convicts it, and kills us with that word, so that he may quicken us. It strengthens this distinguishing the law from the gospel keeps the law extremely seriously, um, holds the law, views the law extremely seriously, but then, as Ellis was saying, makes the gospel all the more. It does not downplay any part of it. So that's important to be said for different reasons, maybe not for you in the room, but for other parts um, as we're in conversation with people, uh, to, to look at that, that sense, that Isaiah 6 of a uh, holier you, worm I am, um, you know, I deserve nothing. Um, and then we get everything, and that's grace, which we're about to look at. Thoughts? And I think that's why Psalms 119 becomes beautiful because it's our own for the law. Amen. To, yeah. To, to destroy so that we can do everything. And it's perfect. And it's perfect. Um, yeah. The law has no problems. Yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is grace? This is probably where we're going to stop. Um, gosh, let's just talk about grace forever, shall we? Um, thanks be to God, because grace becomes grace only when the law is let out. When the law is the law, then grace becomes huge. Huge. Um, 
we can begin to understand grace by contrasting it to mercy. Uh, mercy is withholding of deserved punishment. So I say this a lot, but maybe you've heard me, maybe you haven't. Um, parenting is a great example of mercy and grace. When the kid, when you come downstairs and the child has their hand in the proverbial, or maybe the actual cookie jar, you know, what is mercy? Mercy is not giving them a spanking or a word of con- discipline or a consequence, whatever it is that you're going to do. Mercy is withholding what is uh, rightfully deserved. They did wrong, the law. Um, they're caught red-handed. Mercy says, I'm not going to punish you. That's mercy. That's not grace. What's grace? Grace is you did wrong, you were caught red-handed, and I come in and I give her a cookie or ten cookies or the whole jar or I take her to the store and we buy you know, four dozen Krispy Kreme donuts or whatever else it's going to be. Grace is the provision of the opposite of what's deserved. Uh, the limits and the boundaries of grace is purely limited to the giver. I can give one cookie. I can give ten cookies. I can give, you see where this is going, an infinite amount of cookies. So what if an infinite God gives an infinite amount of grace to a finite sinner who is caught red-handed? I hope just somewhere in that math our souls begin to quiver both out of fear but then also love, awe, and worship. Um, What if an infinite God gives an infinite amount of grace to a finite sinner who is caught red-handed, diagnosed and delivered for condemnation and death by his law? But grace says, yes, you were wrong, and I give you everything anyway. So, where does that go? A couple of places. Um, What is grace? Last paragraph in this um, uh, uh, section. Classic definition, throw out a little Latin, favor de proper Christum. Um, uh, God's favor through Christ or God's favor for Christ's sake. What does that capture? It captures 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, So there's this sense of exchange that's always present in the grace of God, which takes the law of God very seriously. Grace is never cheap. Grace always has a cost. Bonhoeffer, who made that phrase famous, he was referring more to what we just talked about with distinguishing the law from the gospel rather than cheap grace. Cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer was calling it, if you know the book, Cost of Discipleship, famous passage at the very beginning, um, uh, is more about not taking the law of God seriously. Um, uh, Grace always has a cost. I had to give Margaret a cookie, if it was Margaret, my daughter, um, or ten cookies. I incur a cost. They cost me a cookie, or ten cookies, or an infinite amount of cookies. God's grace has a huge cost. It costs Christ life. It costs God his own son, who did not consider... He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Um, And he who was rich became poor so that we who were poor might become rich. Grace, it's actually an acronym. A lot of times youth group acronyms don't don't travel too well, but this one does. Grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. That's actually a pretty good one because it gets the exchange, the great exchange, which is always present in grace. 
where grace becomes gracious only because it's free to me. I couldn't pay for it if I wanted to. How can I, finite worm, pay for an infinite amount of grace to an infinite God? I couldn't turn it over. There's nothing in my wallet. There's not enough breath in my life. I couldn't crawl up enough stairs at the Vatican to, 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 to earn it. There is no wage in grace. Grace is only given as a gift at huge cost to the giver or at, at cost to a giver. It can be a small amount of grace. Have a cookie. It can be an infinite amount of grace. Somehow, Christ second person of the Trinity dies. Who can understand? We can only have wonder, love, awe, and praise. Um, so that's grace. Faith, I'm going to go really quickly. Um, let you read, if you're so inclined. Um, and I'd love feedback, by the way. Um, that's one of the things I'm asking for, is trying to see. I don't know what we're going to do with this, but faith, um, first paragraph, Really important to go through what faith is not. It's not a blind leap. It's not an appeal to God in the gaps. Well, we understand everything up to the point of the question of what about oil? Because dinosaurs aren't in the Bible. And, you know, so we kind of go, oh, we had to have faith. And it's not that. It's not sort of this uh, trump card where when when science tries to challenge us or whatever else it is that we just kind of say, well, you got to have faith. Um, It's not appeal to one's sincerity. It's not a theological virtue. It's not... This one thing that I'm able to do, uh, which uh, somehow lets me say yes to God. Um, so then I go forward and try to say, what is it? Um, it's heard. Um, it comes to us as a gift through hearing. And it's the it's being apprehended by God. Back to the poem. It's being uh, the hound of heaven finally catches me, the rabbit or the hare. And, and, and faith is being consumed by the God who is good where now, um, uh, through my death of the old Adam, as I'm brought to life, faith, being faithed better uh, uh, by God, because it's a gift, nothing that I did, uh, it's being given to me, and now it's, it's the state or the reality of being grasped by God's promises, that he is for you, just as he is for me. And it's not anything you do, it's not a work so that no man may boast, it says in Ephesians 2, it's um, it's something that even that is done to me. And I showed some Greek there, which, Oswald, I'd love your thoughts on that. In the pistis word group, um, uh, where to believe is just the verb form of faith. Uh, and so when Christ says believe, in some ways he's saying, here, have faith. And he's given me the gift. And the image I have, if you're an X-Files fan, I'll end on this. It's always good to end on the X-Files. Um <laughs> Remember the black ink in the X-Files? It was that weird sort of mercury substance, and it would go in, and it would just kind of be absorbed in. And it's like, here. I know it's weird, but this is what I have in mind. Here, have faith, and it sort of goes in. And suddenly it's like, whoa, I believe. I've been faithed. Um, it's happened to me. It wasn't something I did. I didn't wake up, and I'm going to say, today I'm going to practice and become really good at this, uh, this new virtue, and I'm going I'm to really work hard on having faith. It's not something we can do. It's done to us. Um, so that'll set us up for repentance, I think, next week. So there we go. Um, a few things to think about. Thoughts or questions? Disagreements? In one minute? So, uh, best friend growing up is Jewish. 
And uh, he would come to Wednesday night supper, and he'd come here. My dad preached on it, part of it and stuff. And, and he's never, he's not antagonistic to Christ at all. So one day we were talking about God's character. And he says, well, there's two choices. He's either for us or against <laughs> us. <laughs> if he's against us, we're all sunk. Amen. <laughs> and I choose to believe he's for us. And I said, Danny, you lost your brother yeah. to a brain tumor when we were... 10 and his brother was 13 and then his mother died while he was in graduate school at Stanford from breast cancer <clears throat> so for him to believe that God is for us that's some faith um, and that's yeah, I don't he know, did that's up. The best oh, great, Ellis. implementation yeah. and if God is for us who can be against us who can be against us let me pray well, in that word, um, such a gracious word that you are for us in spite of ourselves. Um, grace upon grace upon grace. Um, thank you. Um, uh, uh, let us just rest and be free in wonder, love, and praise of your uh, immeasurable, infinite mercy and grace. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.